0: Good morning. Well, Pastor Jerry has asked me to come back and preach again. Um, I preached once last year um, for Youth Sunday on the uh, Lord's Prayer, Um, so I must have not done terribly because I've been asked back. Um, uh, Choosing a topic, perhaps, is probably one of the most difficult things when you do this because you've got one Sunday to preach, to talk from the you know you got the entire Bible and you've got. one opportunity to to talk about it so it's very difficult to really choose what you want to talk about and after much thinking about it i ended up deciding i was going to talk about understanding god's will Uh, mostly because i'm heading off to college this year there's a lot of people you know a lot of people my age are as well Um, and we're concerned first and foremost about you know there's a lot of people who are concerned about trying to figure out what is god's will for their life how are they which college should they go to who are they going to marry um, what job does God want them to have? Um, and people are very concerned about this, and um, there's a lot of misconceptions about God's will. People, a lot of people seem to think that God's will is lost, and that they need to find God's will, but um, that's not the case. God's will is not lost. We see it in the Bible, exactly what God's will is for us. Um, some of the misconceptions about God's will might be because uh, when the Bible speaks about god's will it talks about um multiple there's a couple different kinds of god's will it talks about a lot of times when the bible speaks about god's will it's talking about god's sovereign will um that's one of the types of god's will that the bible talks about in the bible we see that say psalm 33 for example we see where it says in verse uh, 10 of psalm 33 he says the lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing he frustrates the plans of the people the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. God's counsel always happens. He brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. What he decides to bring about is what we, will actually happen. That's, that's God's sovereign will. What he ordains to happen will always come about. This, we see the same thing in Isaiah chapter 46. Where he says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and yet from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, "My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose." So that's again God's sovereign will. When God God's purposes that He has ordained from the foundation of the world, He will bring about. He will not allow the plans of people to interfere with His plans. Um, In both the grand scale, which we see here talking about the plans of nations, how God will judge or do whatever he wants with the nations, regardless of what they want, Uh, it also applies to our specific lives. Um, In Psalms 139, we see he talks about that. Uh, This is David writing, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So David says here that when he was uh, twinkling in his mother's eye, he was in the womb at that point, God had already seen him and had already written down every day that he would live. Um, God's sovereign will also encompasses that. that, that it's individual, specific for every individual person. Uh, Romans 9 even says that um, it's God's sovereign over salvation. He hardens whomever he wills and he has mercy on whomever he wills. Um, the, perhaps the best way to sum it up is Galatians um, chapter 1. Where Pastor Jared preached on that not too long, a couple months ago. Where he said... Um, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He works everything according to his will. His sovereign will, all of our decisions, completely fit within God's sovereign will. Um, that's the sovereign will of God. It's what he has ordained to come to pass. It's absolute. It cannot be thwarted by anything we do. Uh, he decrees it and it occurs. It's efficacious when he decides to do it. That is what causes it to happen. And this will is hidden. He doesn't tell us what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what God has ordained for tomorrow or for any time above right now. This is um, what the Bible says, the secret things belong unto the Lord. That's what this is. This is God's will, and it's only known to the Trinity. Um, but we also have the revealed will of God. This is God's will for us. What, he, how he, what is his will for how we are to live? Um, the classic name for this would be God's will of law. Uh, some people call it God's will of desire, of command. It's that which is right, how we are to live. And unlike his sovereign will, this will can be disregarded. And it usually is. Um, this is how we are to live. And obviously people don't always follow God's will for their lives. There are plenty of people who don't. We see that this is different in Matthew 7:21, for example, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there he says, you know, you can't, some people are not going to do the will of his fathers in heaven. This is his will for us. Not everyone follows that, but only those, who, the people who do are those who inherit the kingdom of heaven. So it's important that we know what this will is so that we can do it. Um, so what does this will include? Well, first and foremost, um, before any other part of this will, God's will is for us to be saved. Second um, Peter 3.9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. God wants everyone to be saved. Um, we see the same thing in Luke, where he says um, in chapter 13. This is Jesus talking about the city of Jerusalem, and how they were they were not following God's will. They had abandoned biblical Christ, uh, orthodoxy at that point. And um, it says he writes in verse 34 of chapter 13 of Luke. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you would not. So here God desired the salvation of Jerusalem, but um, they were not willing. So that's God's, uh, this is, that's one of God's will for us, how he wants us to live. We also see um, in the book of Ephesians, we give something else that God says is our will. Pastor Jared will be there not too long from now. It's chapter 5, verse 17. He writes, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Understanding what the will of God is, then, is don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's God's will for Christians to be Spirit-filled. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, um, it's an interesting contrast there, because he contrasts getting drunk with being filled with the Spirit, which, at first glance, don't make a lot of sense. Uh, Like, those are the only two options. You're either filled with the Spirit or you're drunk. How How do those go against each other? What is the contrast there? Well, the contrast is, when you're drunk with wine, the wine controls your behavior. Someone who's drunk does not behave as they normally would because alcohol has intoxicated them. The alcohol has, controlled, has control of what they do. That's why we're not supposed to be drunk, because we're not supposed to lose control of our faculties, because um, uh, that leads to debauchery. But when you're filled with the Spirit, the contrast is here that the Holy Spirit controls your behavior. We are living in accordance with the Spirit, what the Spirit says, and we know that the Bible is written through the word of the Spirit. So what that means is um, being Spirit-filled is living in accordance with what the Bible says. Um, we also see um, in the book of First Thessalonians, he gives another thing that he specifically says, this is the will of God for you. Uh, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, verse 3, he says, for this is the will of God. You can't get any more clear than that. If you want to know what the will of God is, it says it right here. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the will of God for you. He wants you to be holy, sanctified. He wants you to live in holy life. And then he specifically says uh, you abstain from sexual immorality because that is, um, sexual sin is always one of the greatest, the worst sins that you can do because it's against your own body. Um, so he specifically mentions that. But the point here is that we need to be sanctified, um, we should be living holy lives. If you're concerned about what the will of God is for you to choose your career or where you're going to go to college, but you're not following the revealed will of God here when he says to be sanctified, um, then you have no business looking for some other type of will of God that the Bible doesn't talk about because you're not, you're not following his revealed will. Um, that goes, that dovetails very closely with, people, say, two people who want to get married, um, and they go to the church and they tell the church that um, we think it's God's will for us to be married. And then you ask them, well, are you abstaining? Are you living in sexual sin? And they are. Well, they're not even following God's revealed will. So how can they know that it's God's will for them to get married if they're not even following what the Bible has already said is God's will? Um, we also see uh, that it is God's will for us to submit to the governing authorities. The principle of submission is one that the Bible clearly says that all believers are supposed to have. Um, we see that in 1 Peter chapter 2. This is, just mention this one in passing. Uh, 13 through 15, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. The will of God is that you are submissive to the governing authorities that have been placed over you, because as we already know, God's sovereign will, he ordains all things. He has placed the government above you, and therefore he has commanded you to submit to it. Um, and what's interesting here is he, he's writing, this is a Peter writing, and at that point he says, be subject to the emperor. And that was because the people, the governing authorities over them at this time was Rome. And uh, a, a lot of people would say, well, we submit to the government, but our government is bad, so we really shouldn't, we should, you know, there are people who think that we should rebel against the government to try to institute a, a better government. But the government in Rome was much worse than any government we have ever had to deal with in America. Uh, the emperors there oftentimes declared themselves to be gods. They worshipped false idols and would kill you if you didn't worship their false idols. Um, There was corruption rampant all throughout it. Homosexuality was a a huge thing. But even with all of the evil there, he still tells us to be subject to the governing authorities. So no matter who the president is or who's going on here, um, the principle is that you should be submissive to the government. Um, and he, he specifically mentions the government. But the Bible also says we're, submit, we're supposed to submit to each other, or we put the interests of other people before ourselves. Um, we're supposed to submit to the leaders of the church. Um, husbands are supposed, or wives are supposed to submit their husbands. The principle of submission is all throughout the Bible. Um, lastly, we see in First Thessalonians again um, one last thing where he specifically says this is the will of God. Um, in chapter five of First Thessalonians. Uh, verse 16 of ch- chapter 5, verse of Um It says this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He gives three things there. What is the will of God for you? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Christians are to be continually rejoicing, constantly praying, and endlessly giving thanks. Um, rejoicing, that just means to have joy. We have we, a Christian, the, the Christian who lives in the worst poverty, has more to be happy over, more to be joyful about than the richest person who's not a Christian in the world. Because we have eternal heaven to look forward to. Um, the same thing, prayer, we have an intimate relationship with God. So that naturally means that we should talk to Him on a regular basis. He's given us His Holy Spirit to guide us. Um, and prayer should be a perpetual part of the Christian life. Endlessly giving thanks... Um, that same thing the, Christians, the Christian who lives in the worst possible circumstances still has more to be thankful for than the most the richest non-Christian in the world because God has saved them from their sins he's saved them from eternal hell which they um, he, could more of, he could have more than justly punished them to go there um, but he has decided not to do that so we have a lot to be thankful for so God tells us that this is his will for us that we rejoice, pray, and give thanks all the time So that's God's will of law. Um, Now one question you might have when you think about that is how do those two wills go together? Because you have his sovereign will where he ordains all things um, and it cannot be thwarted. And then you have his will of law where he tells us how we are supposed to live um, and we can go against that. Why would God ordain something that is against his will of law? That doesn't seem at first glance to make very much sense. Um, Now that's a very difficult question. And it's really beyond my pay grade, but which everything, really, the entire Bible is, because I'm not getting paid to do this. But um, uh, there's a couple of places in the Bible where you can see some hints at an answer for this. Um, the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50. Uh, his brothers had sold him into slavery because they were jealous because his father loved him more than the rest of his brothers. So they, were, they hated him in their hearts, and they sold him into slavery... Um, but God used that because he got sold into slavery and went to Egypt, and, uh, God revealed to him in Egypt that there was going to be a famine coming up, um, and he, God placed him in a position of authority in Egypt, um, where he was able to save, uh, food for people to survive through the famine. He ended up saving, uh, millions of people by this. And this is what, uh, Joseph says here at the end. His brothers have come. He even saved his brothers after his brother, after his brother sold him into slavery, few years later they go to Egypt because that's the only place that has any food and they find their brother in charge of the stuff there and they don't recognize him and, end up, and their brother ends up saving them even though they sold him into slavery but they're still terrified they can't imagine that Joseph would really have forgiven them um, so they constantly are talking asking him about this and he says this do not fear for am I, am, for am I in the place of God as for you you meant evil against me But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So we see here that God, they meant it for evil. And God meant it at the same time for good. Um, God ordained it with a different purpose than they did. And that's one way that um, you can rectify how these wills go together. You see the same thing with a pharaoh. Um, Paul writes that the scriptures say to pharaoh... For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Um, The Bible says that the very reason that God created Pharaoh was because Pharaoh was going to be obstinate when they needed to get the Jews, when God decided to get the Jews out of Egypt. Pharaoh would not allow them to leave. And because of that, God would punish Pharaoh and the entire nation of Egypt with plague after plague after plague, plague, and end up um, killing the firstborn and then drowning them in the Red Sea when they tried to go in after uh, the Israelites. Um, And it says that's the very reason he made Pharaoh... ...was so that he could show his power through doing that in Pharaoh's life. Um, And that's exactly what happened. Because 40 years later, when the Jews finally get to the Promised Land... ...after being stuck in the desert for 40 years... um, ...one of the nations come up to them and they're terrified... ...because they heard about what Israel's God had done to Egypt... ...40 years before that in a completely different place. That's how much God's glory was shown through Pharaoh. So God uses his sovereign will to bring about his glory um that's all well and good um these two wills that god the bible has talked about we see these in scripture but um you might think this this doesn't help you very much like what job am i going to go to where am i going to go to college who am i going to marry this doesn't help me at all making these decisions sure obviously the bible tells us we're supposed to obey the bible and do god's commandments but uh, i want to know who i'm supposed to marry where am i where am i going to go to college these kind of questions um well, the principle for this is, and this is what we're going to get to. This was the ultimate purpose. I ended up getting sidetracked on all this other stuff. Um, but this was the main thing that I intended on getting about. And this is the principle. I'll give it to you first, and then I'll prove it. Um, I'm going to need to, because it's probably um, not what you're expecting. And this is, this is what it is. If you are following His revealed will, if you're obeying, if you're saved, if you're spirit-filled, if you are growing in sanctification, if you're submissive to the people the Bible tells you you're supposed to be submissive to, if you're constantly rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks then you can do whatever you want. That's the principle. You can do whatever you want. You won't want to go to college, you go wherever you want. You want to you choose whatever job you want. That's the principle. Um, now, that might not sound right to you when you think of that. Wait, what? I can do whatever I want? Um, I don't know about that. So I'm going I'm to show you. Let's, you're going to need some proof text for that. So I'm going to give it to you. If you go to Psalm 34, we see this. Verse 7. Uh, excuse me, Psalm 37, verse 4. Uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So delight yourself in the Lord. That what is that? That's obeying. That's you know finding your greatest joy in God. That is following His will. If you're doing all the things that we mentioned that the Bible says this is the will of God for you, you're delighting in the Lord. And then what does it say will happen? You will get the desires of your heart. God will give them to you. Now what does this? this does not mean? That God's going to give you the sinful desires of your heart that you had before you were rejoicing in him. He's not going to make you rich and famous. That's not what this is talking about at all. What he says here is that if you're delighting in him, he's going to change you. So that your desires are the desires that God has for you. So he gives you the desires of your heart by molding your heart into desiring the things that he wants for you. That's how we can choose. And we're following God's will. Whatever we want is what God wants for us. Because God is in control of our heart. Um... We can't sin in choosing things that are non-ethical because the Bible says that when there, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Uh, there is a huge misconception about God having a secret will that we have to find out. That's just not anywhere in Scripture. There is no non-moral will. God obviously has a moral will for things that are right that we are supposed to live. But there's no non-moral will of God outside of His sovereign will, and the sovereign will will be brought to pass. There, there is no. Now, Think carefully here. There is no individual specific plan for your life that you must figure out. There's no specific job you're made to do or person you're supposed to marry that if you fail to do so, it will keep God from giving you all that you have planned. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that God does not have a specific plan for your life. I'm not saying there is no person he's chosen for you to marry or there's no job he's made you to do. It's not what I'm saying. Because we saw you know, in Psalm earlier that he has, he's wrote down every day you're going to live. So he does have a plan for your life. But it's His sovereign will that will be brought to pass. It's, not, it's none of our business what He wants us to do in things that He hasn't revealed in Scripture. Um, his secret, unrevealed will is none of our business. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29. He says, the secret things belong unto the Lord. If God hasn't revealed it to us in Scripture, it's not our job to find it. Um, what we do see is God has a providence. God has His providence, which is His directing of our lives through and throughout our own decisions. This is a combination of His sovereign will, which we saw earlier, and His benevolence, His good disposition towards us. God loves us and wants the best for us. So when we're obeying His will, He is going to work to bring all things for our good. Um, The Bible never tells us we have to seek out a secret will of God that we don't know that is subjective and in our heart. Um, Rather, we're promised that God is going to take care of us as we live and make our own decisions. He does see our whole life and He cares about every detail. But His providence ensures that if we are following His revealed will, as revealed in Scripture, what we saw earlier, that every non-moral decision we make is what He planned for us. Now, the idea that God has a secret will for your life has a lot of problems besides the fact that it's never mentioned in Scripture. That's that's enough right there to know it's not true, but it has other problems on top of that. First and foremost, it's subjective. Uh, Some people go, it's like a gut feeling. Well, I think God is leading me to do this. You can never know that for certain, you see an open or closed door from God, you don't know if that's from God or if it's from Satan. If you see an open door, you don't know. Yeah, that could be a test from Satan you're going to go and something God doesn't want you to do. Or it could be God showing you that's what you should do. If you see a closed door, that could be God telling you that's not what you need to do. Or it could be God testing your resolve to see if it's a test that you should keep going and you should keep persevering. And how do you decide? Well, it's really, you know, it comes down to which one you want. Um, that's, there's no way to know for sure. And because of that, people spend years on years, agonizing about God's, what God's secret will for their lives is. Um, I saw a news story, which was satirical. This is not a true news story, um, but it illustrates this point perfectly. Uh, I'm going to read it to you real quick. Uh, man dies at 91, waiting on the will of God. Walter Houston, described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. He hung around the house and prayed a lot, but just never got that confirmation, his wife Ruby said. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure, and he'd start the process all over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what his life was about. He felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord, but whenever he was about to take action, he would pull back because he didn't want to disappoint God or go against him in any way, Ruby says. He was very sensitive to always remain in God's will. That was primary to him. Friends say they liked Walter, though he seemed not to capitalize on his talents. He had a number of skills he never got around to using, says a long friend. He worked very well with wood and had a storyteller side to him, too. I always told him, take a risk, try something new if you're not happy. But he was too afraid of letting the Lord down. Now, that is not a true story. But it illustrates one of the problems with trying to find a secret will for your life. Um, you're constantly second-guessing yourself because you never know if this is really what God's will for you is because it's not revealed in Scripture. It's completely based on your own um, subjective feelings. Um, people use this will, it's misused all the time. Um, people use this subjective will of God to put their decisions beyond objection. That's one way that people use this all the time. Somebody does something that is kind of controversial, well, what do they say? Well, I prayed about it, and I felt God, God told me, the Holy Spirit led me to do this. So you can't object to that decision because the Holy Spirit did to it. It completely shuts down any discussion about if you made the right choice or not. Um, uh, it puts people beyond accountability for their actions. They blame it on the Holy Spirit. Well, I didn't really want to do it, but the Holy Spirit said I should, so um, what can you say? Um, a humorous example of that would be in dating. You see a guy goes on a date with a girl, and he asks for another date, and she says, well, um, the Holy Spirit's not leading me to date you anymore. I'm sorry, dude. He didn't just get rejected by a girl. He got rejected by the third person of the Trinity, Um <laughs> That's not biblical. (laughs) The Holy Spirit took a break from convicting people of sin to come and tell this girl that this guy was not right for him. Um, God never commands us to discover or find this secret will. It's nowhere in Scripture. Um, The only guidance that we are promised in Scripture is that of the Holy Spirit through the Scripture. We see that, you know, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light unto my path. The Holy Spirit guides us through the Bible. Um, You know, 2 Timothy 3, 3, 16 and 17... um, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the the Christian may be fully equipped for every good work. You're equipped. That's all you need. When you're equipped, you don't need anything else. The Bible completely equips us for all that we need to live our lives, to do every good work. That's all we need is the Bible. We get the Holy Spirit, that we do have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the Bible. Uh, When Jesus told the disciples that after he left, he would send the Holy Spirit to them, this is what he says in John 16 a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Um, And then he goes on and says, um, I will send the spirit of truth to you and he will guide you into the truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. So when we get the Holy Spirit, he's the spirit of truth. He guides us into the truth. What is the truth? The truth is the word of God. The Bible is completely accurate. It is always correct it's always truthful that is what the truth is it is god and it is the bible the only guidance we are promised in in the bible is that of the holy spirit through the bible um it's dangerous to seek a word from god outside of what he said in scripture because that leads us into all kinds of paths it's not you know the bible doesn't tell you to do that um pretty much every great heresy the church has ever had to fight against has been because somebody felt that in their heart that this was correct they were seeking stuff outside of what the bible said um, people ask me why I chose to go to Liberty, um, and I tell them because I wanted to. They like, what? You wanted to go there? That's all? That's it? You need, what about uh, you know, the Holy Spirit? You know, that's not very spiritual sounding. Um, well, I, I wanted to. It seemed best. I had a couple options. I prayed about it, of course, um, but I ended up deciding Liberty probably made the most sense. So I chose to go to Liberty. The Bible does not tell me anywhere whether I have to go to this college or that college. It's my own decision to make, and I have to take responsibility for what that decision is. Um, we see this is how, even in the apostolic age, when the apostles were around, this is how they made decisions. Uh, For example, um, in 1 Corinthians, at the end of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, Paul tells them what his plans are for the future. And this is what he says. Uh, Verse 4. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. In verse 3 he tells what that's about. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem, The church in Corinth was going to give a gift to the church in Jerusalem because they were under persecution and had no money and they were just living, they had a really tough lot. So the Corinthian church was going to help them out. So Paul says, when I get there, I'll send those people with your gift to Jerusalem. And then if it seems advisable, I'll go with them. Um, Then he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey, wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. So what do we see? Paul, he, he makes his own plans, but he couches them tentatively in terms of the sovereignty of God. He says, um, when I get there, if it seems, if it makes the most sense, if common sense dictates that I go with them, if it seems advisable, I'll go with them to Jerusalem. Um, and then he says, uh, perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, he says, I intend to pass through Macedonia, and that's why I'm going to. Um, he says, I don't want to see you in passing. I hope to spend more time with you, but if the Lord permits. So he's making his own plans, but he acknowledges that the sovereignty of God is over it all. Uh, he makes his plans, but if God decides to do something different, then, of course, he's going to go with what God decides to do. I mean, um, that's, we see that in the book of James, I think, where he says, um, you're, he calls them arrogant because they were making plans about their future. And he says, rather, instead of that, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Uh, we have to first acknowledge that God is sovereign over our lives. Um, and that ultimately his plans will be brought about. But then we do have to make our own decisions in our lives. Um, we can't be scared of making decisions uh, like the guy in the news story was. So we never do anything because we're terrified of having to make our own decisions. Um, even, now even at the, apost- the apostolic age, there were exceptions to this. Because the Holy Spirit, you know, we had, they, they had stuff we don't have around today. Um, they had visions and signs that were going on. Not super regularly, but more often than we see them today. Um, they still were a very uncommon occurrence, though, um, and they were never sought out. That's important to, n- to note, that even back when those things happened a lot, people were not going around trying to find a sign from God for where they should, what job they should get or who they should marry. If God had something he needed to tell them, he would do that, but they were never searching out God to give them a vision of specifically what they needed to do. Now, we do see an example in Acts chapter 16 of a place where God does change what they're going to do, and that's in verse 6 of Acts chapter 16. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So here, they once again, they wanted to go into Asia, but the Holy Spirit told them, no, you're not doing that, you're going this way. So they went to Europe instead. And that's really why today we have Europe has been the Christian nation that's in that ended up making America Christian fairly much. And China and uh, those Asian nations are not as Christian. If the Holy Spirit had allowed them to go to Asia, we might have today where the Asian churches are sending the missionaries over to America. But that's not the case because the Holy Spirit directed them. But even here, they were making their own decision. They decided that it seemed best for them to go this way. And then the Holy Spirit changed the plan. Um, so once we're making decisions, we can count on the Holy Spirit to lead us where we need to go, but we ourselves still have to go out and make our own decisions, and then we can count on God's providence to direct our lives in the way that He wants us to live. Um, now there is a caveat to this. It's not just, it doesn't just mean you can do whatever you want. That's kind of what you, if you see that, you're thinking that's not quite correct. You can't just, okay, well, I'm a Christian, I'm following the will of God, so I really want a triple cheeseburger right now. So that's what the will of God is for me, obviously, because I'm following His will. So I'm heading over to Wendy's, and I'm going to get three-quarters of a pound of ground beef. Now, that might be the will of God for you. It often is the will of God for me. Um, so you can't count it out, but that is not the only thing we have to look at here. Because there is. this is the problem. It's true that if we're following the revealed will of God, as it's revealed in Scripture for our lives, that we do the things I mentioned earlier. We're rejoicing fully in Him. We're then we can follow desires of our heart because those desires are being controlled by God. But this is the problem. No one does that perfectly. There is no person who has ever followed, except for Jesus, who has completely followed the will of God, who has fully rejoiced in the Lord all the time. We are fallen and sinful. We don't have the ability to do that. So we have a problem then. Well, we know that if we are rejoicing in the Lord fully, that we can trust our own desires and follow them. But we're not. We don't do that. As try as we might, we'd struggle with sin. So how then do we make decisions? It comes down to this. Uh, The fact is, non-moral decisions, like where you go to college or who you're going to marry or what you do and anything the Bible doesn't talk about, you can choose those decisions out of a sinful motivation. And when you do that, it is sin. Uh, For example, uh, Pastor Jared asked me to preach today. I could have said yes because I wanted to showcase my incredible knowledge And wow, y'all, with how well I knew the Bible. That would be a sinful, pride-of-the-flesh desire to preach. That would have been sin, even though the Bible never tells me I can't preach if I'm asked by the pastor. And on the other side, if he had asked me, and I said no, because I was cowardly and scared of standing up here for 30 minutes talking, um, which was not a problem. I like talking. Um, That also could have been sin, because cowardness is not something that Christians are supposed to have. Um, So we can make non moral decisions out of sinful motives. If you choose your career not based on a desire to provide for your family or because you enjoy that fully, but you choose it because you have a love for money or a love for fame. You could be, become an actor in Hollywood because you want to be famous or you choose to become a lawyer because you want to be a millionaire. You're making a non-moral decision out of a sinful desire. And that's sin. That's wrong. So decision-making, then, is a battle to make choices out of God-honoring motives. And this is very difficult. Like I said, we already know our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Jesus said that in Acts 15. He says... He talks about our hearts. He says, Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Our hearts are not good in and of themselves. So we have a difficult task in trying to make decisions out of our own desires, out of God-honoring motives. And how do we go about that then? Well... This is, this is, I think, the answer, and we see this in Romans chapter 12, at the start of the chapter, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we know the will of God. That's talking about his revealed will, obviously. But we can know that by having our mind renewed. And then we have the ability to test against the will of God. How does that work? Well, renewing our mind um, is via scripture. It's constant meditation on the Bible. That's what changes our desires. We start with sinful desires. And when we're saved, God gives us the desire to read his Bible and among other things. But he's writing here to Christians To people who are already Christians. So he can't be talking about the renewal of our mind that happens when we're saved because all these people he's writing to have already been saved. So the renewal of your mind he's talking about here is the part of a Christian's life that happens on a daily basis. By meditating on the Word of God, God renews our mind, changing our desires, molding us more like Him to where we desire the things that are of God. And when we do that, when we know the Bible, then we have the ability to test things against the Bible, which is the will of God. We can test against the infallible standard of the bible when we know it we can find out what is good and acceptable and perfect so when our minds are renewed and we can test our motives against scripture then we can know that we're making god honoring decisions it comes down to being able to test our motives out against scripture so that we can be confident we're acting in accordance with god's will that's how we know we're acting in god's will when we look at our motives for why we make a decision if the motive you're you're using for that decision is not sinful and it's God honoring, then you can be confident that that decision is God's will for you. It's not so much say you don't have to second guess yourself. If your motive is honoring God, it's glorifying God, it's not selfishness, it's not pride, then you can know that that is the will of God for you. That's all I have this morning. I'm going to pray. out. God, I thank you for giving me this opportunity to preach this morning, um, for allowing me to to talk about uh, the will of God, your will, Lord, so that we can hopefully understand it better um, and be able to follow it for our own lives, Lord. It's very important that we follow your will, because you said that only those who follow your will are the ones who go to heaven, Lord. Um, It's the ones who do the will of the Father. Um, We just ask, Lord, that you would help us to follow your revealed will, as revealed in Scripture, so that we can trust in your providence to guide us in the decisions that are not revealed in Scripture, Lord. Um, We know that your providence is there, and that you have a good disposition towards us, Lord, that you love us and you want what is best for us. Um, And we just thank you for that, Lord. And We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.